Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Sheep are not the brightest of creatures, which is probably why we in the church are often called by that name. As I've mentioned to you a couple of times in sermons before, uh, several years ago a very fine pastor taught me that sheep are dirty, smelly, stubborn, and stupid. Sounds a lot like us sinners, doesn't it? Now, unlike cattle stockyards, where the herd mentality generally causes the animals to follow one another into a somewhat orderly fashion as they go through the chutes, sheep slaughterhouses often find it very difficult to get the animals to go up the ramps and into the proper places. The sheep will simply mill about in confusion, desperately looking for someone or something to follow and to show them the way. To overcome this practical problem, some slaughterhouses use what they call a Judas goat. Now this goat is allowed to mingle around in the sheep pen until the sheep become acclimated to it. And then at the proper time, the Judas goat will walk up the ramp toward the slaughtering area. When the sheep are well on their way, then this Judas goat will turn a corner and quickly get diverted through a hidden door on the side of the ramp. The unsuspecting sheep, however, will continue down the path to their impending death. Over the centuries, our world has certainly seen its share of Judas goats, hasn't it? Some of them come in the form of national leaders like Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or Mao Zedong. With their well-polished speeches, they have led millions to follow godless philosophies and bloody and ruthless policies. But others, they come dressed in the robes of a preacher. Not all of them, of course, are like the not-so-reverend Jim Jones, who many of you might remember a few decades ago got hundreds of his faithful followers to drink cyanide-laced Kool-Aid when it became apparent that his frauds were coming unraveled. But it's no different today than it was in Jeremiah's day or in Jesus' day. Political leaders still cared little for right and wrong, and they still did very little to lead their people. Religious leaders, too, didn't teach people the truth about God and His plan for their salvation. There always have been and there always will be the Judas goats. Those who look for naive sheep who are confused and fearful and ready to follow the first person who looks like they know where they're going. Our Gospel lesson this morning says, When Jesus went ashore, He saw a great crowd, and He had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And He began to teach them many things. Jesus came to be our shepherd. He also came to be our king. Now, unlike the Judas goats or the faulty and fallen human leaders, we can follow Jesus in confidence, with complete and utter confidence, totally without fear. Now, I have to confess that for a lot of years, I really didn't understand so well what it meant when we say that Jesus is our King. I could give those classic catechism answers that Jesus rules in his kingdoms of power, grace, and glory. 
The kingdom of power, you remember, is where Jesus, the creator king of all things, rules over the whole world for the benefit of his church. And then there is the kingdom of grace. There Jesus is our king as Christians because he rules in the hearts of those who believe in him as their savior. And then in the kingdom of glory, Jesus rules from his throne in heaven and someday he will gather all of his people together to himself and will rule his kingdom in heaven and on earth for all eternity. But then one day I was teaching a seventh grade confirmation student a, a makeup lesson. I was questioning her about what it means when we say that Jesus is our king. What does Jesus do as our king? I asked. Now I was expecting an answer that someplace or another would use the word rule in it. But instead she said to me, as my king, Jesus is watching over me. Suddenly the lights went on in my head. A good king doesn't just rule, does he? Then I remembered back to one of my seminary classes. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for shepherding a flock can also be translated to rule or govern when it is applied to a king or to a prince. A good king is not one who rules his people for his own benefit, but for theirs. A good king is one who watches over his people. A good king is one who looks out for his people. So you can think then why David was such a good king most of the time. He grew up in the fields as a shepherd. He was not afraid to risk his life for his sheep, whether it be a dangerous confrontation with a lion or a battle with a bear. When he became king, David for the most part kept his shepherd's heart. He cared for his people. He watched over his people. And this was not just in physical ways like going to battle with his army against the Philistines. It was also a spiritual ruling. He lovingly led the children of Israel to serve and to worship the one true God. Again, it says in our gospel lesson for today, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus was and is the Son of God. He was also David's son and had a heart like David's, only a perfected one. A perfect heart of a shepherd. Because his people were being taught wrong by the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus taught them the truth. Because they needed someone to rescue them from the hands of their spiritual enemies, from sin, from death, and from the power of the devil. Jesus gave up his life for his people. Yes, Jesus is my king. And yes, Jesus is my shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd king. Our text from Jeremiah today shows us why it's both good news and bad news. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who tend my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. 
The kings and the priests and the prophets in Jeremiah's day were not faithful shepherds. They were more like the Judas goats. They were leading God's people astray into their destruction. And God would not tolerate that. A good shepherd cannot stand by and watch his sheep destroyed by some other shepherd who really doesn't care for the sheep. So that is still bad news for lousy shepherds. I know full well that I have a great many limitations as a pastor, and often I'm very full of worries and anxieties about all of my failings. But woe to me if I were teaching false doctrine to this flock, teaching lies to God's people, leading them astray. Nor would I want to be a political leader who is using his or her position to promote godless philosophies or to gather confused sheep into a pasture that was other than God's pasture. For Jesus is still the king, and Jesus is still the shepherd. He is still enthroned in heaven looking over his flock. I would not want to be on the wrong side of my shepherd king when he gets angry. But that's good news for the sheep, isn't it? I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. The children of Israel were about to be scattered around because of the result of the bad shepherding that had taken place in Israel. Some of these would end up being exiled in Babylon. Others would just be scattered all over the known world. But God in heaven would not forsake them. He would be their shepherd. He would gather his scattered flock, and he would one day bring them home again, give them faithful shepherds again. Men like Ezra and Nehemiah, like Zechariah and Malachi. But the greatest fulfillment of this prophecy came when God himself became man in Jesus Christ. He became our good shepherd and our good king. And then he taught his people. He died for his people. He trained his disciples and he empowered them to go out among his people in his name. From his throne in heaven, Jesus is still our shepherd king. And through the means of his church, he continues to provide pastors and teachers and good shepherds for his people. He constantly and jealously watches over his flock. In times of temptation and danger, he stands between us and Satan. In times of weakness, he lifts us up and carries us in his arms. And in times of death, he gathers us into his fold in heaven. We do not need Judas goats. We need a shepherd. We need Jesus, our shepherd king. And as our shepherd king, he brings us righteousness. Righteousness to the unrighteous. We can learn a lot about our shepherd king from Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. 
In most modern English translations, you'll notice that that word Lord is printed in all capital letters. That means that it represents the special name that God used for himself in the Old Testament. The name that he gave his people to identify him uniquely among all the false gods of the surrounding cultures. Sometimes that name is pronounced Yahweh or gets corrupted as Jehovah. It was Yahweh the Lord who came to Adam and Eve and promised them a Savior. It was Yahweh who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. It was Yahweh who brought Israel safely into the land of Cana. And it was Yahweh who would come to save His people from their sin. Make no mistake, Jesus is every bit Yahweh God. He is the Lord. He is the righteous branch of the line of David, the one of whom Jeremiah wrote. Mary was descended from David. And so David was Jesus' ancestor according to the flesh. But Yahweh, the Lord God Himself, became man so that He could save His people from their sins. There is another name there for the Savior in our text. It says He is the Lord our righteousness. It's pretty easy to understand the word righteousness. Righteousness is what a person does when he or she does what is right. That is what we rarely do. Yet Jesus always did what was right. He never cursed or swore. He never disobeyed. He never hurt anyone. He never harbored a lustful thought in his heart. He never stole. He never coveted what others had. He never doubted or worried. Or to put it positively, he always told the truth. He always obeyed his parents. He always put the explanation, best explanation on things that he heard about his neighbor. He was always content with what he had. He always went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Do you get the picture? Do you begin to fathom how difficult that really would be? Jesus never did anything wrong. He didn't commit a single sin. He didn't even commit a little sin. Not even in his mind or in his imagination. Yet we do that all the time. We drive down the road just thinking about all kinds of hurtful and terrible things. There's hardly a sin that we haven't committed in our minds. But Jesus always did what was right. He did it when he was supposed to, and he did it without fail. That's what righteousness is. He never did what was wrong, and he always did what was right. Do you find that comforting or discomforting? Well, it would be very, very discomforting if you were comparing yourself with Jesus. For Jesus is righteousness. If I compare my life to his, then I'm only going to get depressed and frustrated and fall into despair. Can God possibly want me as His child if I have to compare myself to His only begotten Son, the one who never did anything that was wrong and always did everything that was right? But there's a very little, very important word in our text today. It's there in verse 6 from the reading from Jeremiah. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Look at that little possessive adjective there that sits between the divine name and the divine attribute. 
Do you see it? It says, our. Jesus was a righteous shepherd and a righteous king, but not just to show us how righteous he was and how unrighteous we are. No, Jesus is our righteousness. So if God says to you, did you keep all my commandments? Did you give me the primary place in your life? Did you love me with all of your heart and your soul and your mind? You can say, no, Lord, I did not. I must confess my sins. I cannot hide them from you. But Jesus did keep the commandments. He always honored you. Even when he was dying on the cross and you forsook him and he suffered and was punished for my sins, he still honored you. Your word says that Jesus did that for me. He is the Lord our righteousness. He is the Lord my righteousness. So if you ask me if I've kept your commandments, Lord, I will have to say, yes, Jesus did it for me. There are a lot of Judas goats out there who would love to lead you to the slaughterhouse of eternal damnation. There always have been and there always will be. But Jesus still is our shepherd and our king, and he always will be. He will not leave you without his love, his leadership, and his support. And he will not leave you without his righteousness to make you right in the sight of God. In his holy name.